If you're just joining us, um, welcome to this is the Sunday morning service of Love Stefan Baptista Kirkia. My name is Elliot Jones. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, and I will be preaching this morning from Acts chapter 9. So if you want to turn there, if you're not already there, we're going to be looking uh, at Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. And I'll give you about 15 seconds or so to get there. And then I'm going to read the text and then pray and then we'll, we'll get started. Um, and but while you are turning there, just a couple announcements. Um, so at the end of this time, we're going to, um, we're going to have a time of prayer. Uh, just for one another. So during the service, um, feel free to post either as a comment to this video or if you're part of the Love Stefan Fellowship Facebook Messenger chat, feel free to post in there. Uh, any requests, any praises, um, yeah, any prayer requests, any praises uh, from what's been happening in your life uh, or in the life of your family or people you know, just share ways that we can be praying and rejoicing with you because uh, we'd all love to love to pray for you. And then at the end, I will pray uh, not for all, everything that gets shared, but I will pray generally um, over what has been shared. Uh, and so we'll have a time just of prayer at the end, and that's a, that's a good way to uh, just be checking in on people throughout the week. Like I would encourage you to write down what, what people share, uh, be it praises or requests, and just feel free to check in on them throughout the week. It's a great way to uh, yeah, just encourage your brothers and your sisters. So, all right, we're going to jump in now to Acts chapter 9. Starting in verse 32, I hope you're all there, and I'm going to read, and I'm reading from the ESV. Chapter 9, verse 32 says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of the word of God today. Mm -hmm. Tune our hearts to be edited by you today. And please, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Please use me to build up and to edify the listeners today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, what would you define as a miracle? How would you use that word in your everyday life? Like when I say miracle, what do you think of? Well, a miracle is 
defined generally as an event that cannot be explained by natural means, by like science or the natural laws of physics or something like that, usually it's something that's attributed to the divine. The only explanation for a miraculous event is divine intervention in the natural world. And so when we think of that definition, it seems to me that maybe maybe we're a bit liberal as humans with that word miracle. We use it quite often for things that are not really miracles. I want to tell you a story of one such example. Football, not, not American football, but soccer football, is hugely popular around the world, as I'm sure you know. And every year, there's one of the leagues in Europe is called the Champions League. And a few years ago, uh, in 2017, I think, um, two, two, sub, two clubs were playing uh, in one of the elimination rounds. Barcelona and Paris were playing. And each club gets to play a home game and an away game uh, with whoever they're paired up with. Anyway, in the first match, Barcelona played at Paris, and they lost really badly. They lost 0-4. to four. And if you watch any sort of football, you know that coming back from a 4 nothing lead is really tough. But the next match was played in Barcelona, and the Barcelona squad did manage to win. They managed to win 6-5. to five. Um, combining both games and it was described as a miracle like a lot of people were like this was a miracle this was crazy like can you believe they did that and yeah fans all around the world were just going crazy about this and so we, we described that as a miracle but it's really not a miracle like crazy sports victories aren't miracles they're they're incredible they might even be inspiring in some ways but they're not miracles and so today, today I want us to look at, we're going to be looking at two true miracles because as cool as sports are, they don't even begin to hold a candle to what Jesus did while he was here on earth and to what some of his followers subsequently did as they walked in ministry, as they walked in his power, as they walked by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Sports victories don't even begin to hold a candle to these, these just incredible things that Jesus and some of his followers did afterwards. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, I don't have any slides today because, like I've already said, we're kind of operating a little lower tech today because I'm not a tech guy, so I don't really know how to, how to do all this. So this is what we got. Um, I will go slow because we have a couple different passages we're going to be jumping around to. So I will go slow. I will repeat um, a lot where I'm at, so just to make sure I don't lose anyone, and so that you can follow, uh, hopefully can follow me uh, pretty easily. So I, I will be a little bit repetitive, just because I can't see you, I don't have any slides, so this is what we're going to be doing today. So, all that to say, we're not going to be looking at sports, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ, we're going to be looking at two miracles performed today, and we're going to be considering true miracles in the Bible and their purpose. And so my main point today what, I, what I, I want us to, to walk away with is that miracles provide a clear gospel picture. They're performed by the power of God for the glory of God. And they make us look forward to the return of King Jesus. Let me repeat that one more time. Miracles provide a clear picture of the gospel. They're performed by the power of God for the glory of God. And they make us look forward to the return of King Jesus. And so with that in mind, um, that 
that leads us right into our first point, that miracles provide clear gospel pictures. And so first of all, before we even jump into the specifics of the text, I actually want to just take some time to define what the gospel is. If you're listening to this, if you're if you're new, if this is maybe one of your first church services, maybe you don't normally go to church, maybe you're not a Christian and you want to know what Christians believe, the gospel simply means good news, and it is the most important truths about the Christian faith, about what we believe concerning God and concerning man. And if you're a Christian watching this, and I hope there's lots of you watching this, um, don't don't think to yourself, oh, the gospel, okay, the easy stuff. I already know this. I don't need to hear it. I heard, I've heard it a thousand times. Don't think that. We all need to be continually reminded of the gospel because the gospel is the good news of salvation. And this is news both, both for believers and for non-believers because, brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded every single day of our new identity in Jesus. We need to be reminded every single day that Jesus came and died for us because this has implications for everything we do, for all of Christian living has its roots and its basis in the gospel. Christian Christian life without the gospel is just legalism or moralism. It, it has no power. It, it has no power to transform hearts. It's simply dead religion. And for the non-believer, for the non-Christian, this is great news because they need to hear, if you're not a Christian, you need to hear that you're a sinner and that not only are you a sinner, but you're unable to change that about yourself. You're unable to save yourself. Mm-hmm. But God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be saved, so that you could be reconciled to God and to be made right with him. So this is good news for both the believer and the non-believer. And so with that in mind, let's let's jump in. What is What is the gospel? What is the good news? First and foremost, God created mankind, and he created humans with dignity to be his image bearers. And he gave humans control of his creation to watch over it, to take care of it, to steward it well. He also created mankind in right relationship with himself. Adam and Eve had a right relationship with God. There was no sin that hindered that relationship. And he left Adam and Eve with only one commandment, just one. He gave them the great garden of Eden, big garden. And there were fruit trees and plants and animals and all sorts of things. And he left them with one commandment. There's one tree that I don't want you to eat from. And that was it. However, Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to go against God. They decided they wanted to rebel against God. They decided that they wanted to rule their own lives. They wanted to be the gods of their own lives. And to be free of God's commandments. And so they disobeyed God. And they ate of the tree. And immediately God comes down looking for them. Once they disobeyed, Adam and Eve were filled with shame and just confusion. And they were unable to, they didn't understand fully what had happened. They just knew that something was terribly wrong. And they attempted to fix the problem themselves. They tried to fashion coverings for themselves. They realized they were naked. They realized that they needed coverings, all sorts of things. And, but they didn't run to God when they knew something was wrong. They didn't go looking for God. They ran from God, but God came after them. And even though they tried to cover up what they'd done, they tried to blame each other, they even tried to blame God. But God was still merciful towards them. He promised right there and then that he would one day send a savior to atone for their sins and subsequently for the sins of mankind. And so now all of us, if you're human, you've sinned. 
against a holy and against a righteous God, who's our creator and our king. And we all live in sin. We naturally don't want the things of God. We naturally can't live in a manner that is pleasing to God. We deserve death, every single one of us. The very smallest act we do against God that is sin deserves eternal death. But God loved us. And even when we wanted nothing to do with him, he sent Jesus to live among us, to be man. He sent Jesus to live the life that we should have lived. And Jesus also died the death that you and I all deserve to die. And he did that so that whomsoever believes in him, whomsoever confesses him as Lord and Savior, will not die, but will have eternal life. And so now, those of us who have believed and confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when God looks at us, he doesn't see all our messed up stuff. He doesn't see our previous life that was just all sinful and wanted nothing to do with him. He doesn't see any of that anymore. He doesn't even see the mistakes you and I make every day. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, which has been given to us, which has been transferred to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're freed from our slavery to sin. We're repurposed to go out and share this good news of Jesus. And we look forward to an eternity with God, our Father in heaven. And so that's that's the gospel. That's the good news. If you're not a Christian, this is good news for you. If you, if you want, you can turn to Jesus. The call is to turn to Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to submit to him as Lord and Savior. If you're not a Christian, this invite is open for you. You don't have to wait. You don't have to, you know, clean yourself up before you come. You come as you are. Just don't expect to stay as you are. And for the Christian, we need to preach this to ourselves every day. We need to remind ourselves of our new identity, that we are now sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And so, having done that now, let's jump Let's jump now into the text. I'm going to read verses 32 through 35 of Acts chapter 9 again. Uh, so that's where we are. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 9 says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So, Let's consider the situation of Aeneas here. He's been confined to his bed for eight years, according to our text. He's been paralyzed. And this is also the first century uh, post-Jesus. This is, you know, a couple years after Jesus walked on this earth. So this is roughly 2,000 years ago. Modern medicine is a long ways off. Um, This is very far removed from our age of comforts in modern medicine. Uh, And he was, Aeneas was utterly dependent on his family and his friends, on their goodwill to take care of him. Because he couldn't help himself. He's paralyzed. He's bedridden. He needs help to eat. He needs help to go to the bathroom. He needs help to do anything. And I imagine this, psychologically and emotionally, I imagine this was hard on him. Like, you imagine just constantly being reliant on someone else to help you? Especially because Aeneas almost certainly could remember a time 
when he wasn't dependent on everyone around him for even the most basic of functions. There was no state to take care of him. There was no institutions to take him in. Rome wasn't exactly known as a welfare state. So, I mean, he was very much dependent on everybody around him. And one day, the Apostle Peter is going around the region, sharing the gospel, generally just doing ministry, as it says, you know, going here and there. We read that the, the church in the previous in the previous verse of our text, um, that would be 931, it just says that the church had peace and was being built up. And so Peter comes to this town of Lydda during the normal course of his ministry, and he meets this man, Aeneas, who's bedridden, and prompted by the Holy Spirit, Peter tells Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. And immediately Aeneas is made well, and he can stand and he can function again, and he can make his bed. And so consider that Aeneas is absolutely helpless. I know I've driven this point home, but since this is a gospel picture, I want us to really see this. Aeneas is completely and utterly helpless. He can't do even the most basic things. Think back to Adam and Eve. They were unable to even adequately cover up their own nakedness and shame. They needed God for that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. I'll give you a couple minutes to get there. So that's Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Again, Romans 5, verse 6. I hope you're there. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are like Aeneas as humans. We're paralyzed in our sin. We're unable to free ourselves from it. We're unable to shake it off and somehow be right before God on our own. And Jesus Christ came to free us from our sin. And like Aeneas was immediately healed, after Peter said in verse 34 of our text, so this is back in Acts 9 now, so feel free to turn back there. In verse 34 of our text, Peter says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And so we too were immediately set free from our bondage to sin and given new life in Jesus Christ. We don't save ourselves. We don't give ourselves new life. Jesus Christ does. And when, when we submit to that, when we understand that, when we turn and repent, then immediately we're set free. And notice how afterwards Aeneas is given a command. It's not just Jesus Christ heals you. It's Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. Aeneas, do not remain as if you were still paralyzed, but get up, make your bed, go forth. And likewise, Christian, don't remain as if you were still a slave to sin. Live as one who is free. Live in service to Christ. Jesus set us free from our sin, but he, he doesn't set us free to live a life of whatever we want. We don't get to sin with impunity just because Christ died for us. You don't need to turn there. Um, but in, in, in Romans 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul asks the question, How can we who have died to sin still live in it. Grace is not licensed to sin. And so, brothers and sisters, our lives must and will change when we give our lives to God. 
the indwelling Holy Spirit will sanctify us and will slowly conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And the word sanctification just means the process of becoming more like Jesus. And once we're justified, that is, once we've submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the rest of your life will be the process of sanctification. And justification um, justification is a legal term. It just simply means to be declared righteous. And that's what happens when we submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Suddenly his righteousness is given to us, is transferred over to us. And so we're justified, and then and that happens in a moment. And then after that, we're sanctified. And that goes on. That's a process that goes on for the rest of our lives. And we're also empowered in that process, not, again, not to just make ourselves better. It, the Holy Spirit's the one conforming us and, and building us and helping us to turn away. But we also play an active role in that. In his letter to the Philippian church, um, Paul exhorts them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And so once we've been saved, we're empowered to walk in good works. We're empowered to start seeing our lives change, to fight against sin because of what Jesus did. And this is not at all us somehow earning our salvation. Like, don't, don't misunderstand me here. We're, we, don't, we don't take part in the saving of ourselves. That is all God. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, we're empowered to walk in good works before the Lord. But also know that we're never going to attain perfection in this life. But we will start to see victory over sin. We will start to bear the fruits of the Spirit as we begin to walk with God. We will love more. We'll be more joyful and hopeful. And the things in which we used to find hope and joy apart from Jesus will suddenly seem unsatisfactory to us. The more that Jesus becomes what we crave, what we look for, what we worship, then the things we used to worship, whether we knew it or not, will start to seem dim. We'll become more like Jesus. And our life will not be characterized by being perfect. But instead, our lives will be characterized by a pattern of repentance. As the Holy Spirit shows us more and more our sin and our rebellion towards our Holy Creator, we will more and more turn from that as we are slowly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're sanctified because we're justified. And so now look with me at uh, Tabitha, uh, Tabitha's story, starting in verse 36 of our text. Again, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they'd washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her to them alive. So Peter's at Lydda. He's just healed Aeneas. And in, a t- in the town of Joppa, which is about 10 miles away, uh, to, the e- to the west, sorry. Uh, Joppa is about 10 miles away. You could get there in about a half day. 
some of the disciples who are there, um, some of the Christians who are there, uh, they hear that Peter's not too far away, um, and Tabitha's just died, and so they send two men to ask Peter to come and see them, and to come without delay. And so Peter does this, and he goes with them to Joppa, and when he gets there, a scene of grief and mourning awaits him. A woman named Tabitha, who was beloved in her community, and known for her acts of kindness and charity, has died. And the residents of this town are mourning the loss of this wonderful woman. And the widows in particular show Peter evidences of Tabitha's acts of kindness and charity towards them while she was still alive. And Peter goes up. He goes up to, to the room. He prays to God. He tells Tabitha to rise, which she does. And God raises her from the dead. And Peter takes her by the hand, helps her up, and presents her alive to the saints and the widows. And so like Aeneas, who could do nothing to help himself, who was entirely dependent on the goodwill of those around him, so too Tabitha was dead and could clearly do nothing to bring herself back. This is another gospel picture we're given. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. That's Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I need to get that myself, so it's okay. 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 Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, which says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Tabitha was dead, and God raised her up. So we too, who are in Christ, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and God made us alive in Christ Jesus because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. And one of the purposes of miracles is that they provide us with clear pictures of the good news. We're trapped, dead in our sins. We're paralyzed in them, unable to overcome them ourselves, unable to free ourselves from them. And Jesus came to set us free. And God is so good to us. He doesn't only give us his word and just the head knowledge of the gospel, but he also provides us with illustrations so that we might better understand this good news. And furthermore, in the case of Tabitha, Peter goes about this, about this miracle. Here, turn back with me to Acts. 
Um, Peter goes about this in a very similar manner to Jesus. So you don't need to turn there, but if you want to go and read this story later, you can. In in Luke 9, um, as Jesus is walking around with his disciples, healing people, generally doing ministry, proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God, uh, a man uh, named Jairus uh, comes to him and pleads with him to heal his daughter, to come with him to his house and heal his daughter. Jesus agrees, and they go. And Jesus gets there, and there's, like when Peter gets to Joppa, there's a a scene of grief and mourning uh, that awaits him. And Jesus tells them to, he tells them that the little girl is not dead, but actually asleep. Um, And they laugh at him because they know she's dead. But Jesus puts them all outside. Um, He just allows Peter, James, and John to stay with him uh, and the girl's parents. And then he raises the girl from the dead. And like, if you notice the small detail, even that Peter takes Tabitha's hand, so also Jesus, well, really it's Peter who also does this because Jesus did it first, but Jesus takes the hand of the little girl and raises her up. And this is important because Jesus touching that body after he'd raised the little girl, that flew in the face of Jewish purity laws. Dead bodies were highly unclean and The Levitical law was very centered on being clean um, so that you could gather, so that you could, like, come to the temple and whatnot. You needed to be clean. Um, And you can read all about these very detailed laws in the book of Leviticus. Um, But so Jesus, by touching the body, he's showing that in reality, the purity laws are not what make someone clean. The purity laws of the Old Testament were in place so that those who adhered to them, would understand that they needed something other than themselves to make them clean. Um, and it wasn't meant, the purity laws were never meant to be the final, uh, the final cleansing uh, element for them. The purity laws were simply meant to point them towards their need for a savior. And in fact, the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, were meant to point people to their need for a savior. And Jesus, he's showing that he himself is going to come to fulfill all that. Jesus' blood is ultimately going to be what cleanses them. And so now we as Christians, we are not made pure by purity laws, by whether or not we wash our hands, though you should because that's a good practice. But that's not what makes you spiritually clean. What makes you spiritually clean is the blood of Jesus Christ spilled on behalf of you. And so Jesus is starting to point towards that. He's, he's showing the Israelites that he's the fulfillment of these laws. They're no longer bound by them anymore. And, and Peter witnessed his teacher perform this miracle. And so when he's faced with a similar situation, he imitates his Savior down almost to every detail. If you go look and read through Luke 9, you'll see it's, there's a lot of similarities here. One of the key differences, though, is that Peter's a human apostle, and Jesus was and is the Son of God. And so Peter performs this miracle by the power of God for the glory of God, whereas Jesus had the authority in and of himself, the power and the authority in and of himself, to raise the dead. And this brings us to our next point. Miracles are performed by the power of God for the glory of God. So we've seen and considered how both of these miracles are gospel pictures, uh, which point us toward the good news of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to consider how both of these miracles are performed by the power of God for the glory of God. And so since we've already read 
read through these. I'm not going to read the verses again, but I will make sure you know where we're at. So look back with me at verses 32 through 35 of Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to look back again. And I want us to I want to point out some elements that I've skipped over in our first pass uh, over these verses. And so Peter, when he arrives at Aeneas' bedside, this is uh, verse 34. He arrives at Aeneas' bedside, and Peter clearly declares to Aeneas that it is Jesus Christ who heals him. It's not Peter working some great wonder with some innate strength or power that Peter might have in and of himself. It's Jesus Christ who's doing the healing. Peter's just a conduit for this power. Christian miracles are always performed by the power of God for the glory of God. And God clearly gets the glory in this case. I want to think back through a little more over Aeneas' situation. Remember, he's paralyzed, bedridden for eight years. And it's not like he's been sick for like a week. It's been eight long years. He's been enduring this situation and all of its ramifications during this time. And maybe sometimes we like, oh, eight years, it's not that bad. I mean, it's okay. But for us, that's 2012, eight years ago. You imagine being in bed since 2012? That's a long time in bed. For me, I hadn't even graduated high school yet. And I know that that just made me look really young. But eight years is a long time. And Aeneas has been here, of course, and remember, he can remember what it was like prior to being paralyzed, what life was like. And so... But after he's healed, a great number of people, in verse 35, says all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, him as Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. We see that a great number of people were added to the church because God had been glorified. Peter does not perform this miracle with much fanfare. Uh, We're not given a lot of details about this, but this seems to have been a pretty quiet affair. Um, like the actual miracle itself seems to have been a pretty quiet affair. It's it's the result afterwards. When people see Aeneas, he's known to be a, a paralytic, but then they see him walking around, and the witness, the testimony is, God healed me. God used his apostle, Peter, to heal me. And so God is the one who gets the glory here. The people do not turn to Peter, looking to him as their savior. No, the people turn to the Lord. And this miracle provides further confirmation and proof to the message that Peter's presumably already been preaching as he goes around. Remember in verse 32, it says that, uh, verse 32 of Acts 9, it says that Peter has been going here and there among them all. And so presumably he's been fulfilling the Great Commission, preaching the gospel, encouraging churches, etc. And so God gets the glory and a great number of people are added to the church that day. And likewise, consider the case of Tabitha. We saw that her death is a gospel picture of how we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, and we need Jesus to raise us up and to set us free. And again, this this miracle, like the healing of Aeneas, is done by the power of God for the glory of God. Look at verse 40 of our text. It says, Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. So, I want to make an aside here about what Peter's doing here. Peter puts everyone out of the room, and that's that's important. 
because there, there are some exceptions throughout the, the Gospels and whatnot. But by and large, miracles, the aim of miracles is not to be these big grand affairs where there's lots of witnesses, there's lots of like people seen. They're usually pretty quiet affairs. Of course, there are some exceptions. I'm thinking of when Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000. That's a, that's a pretty big crowd. Um, but by and large, Jesus, even when he performs miracles, he tells people to not go and spread it, to not go and make a big deal about it. Because miracles are easily misunderstood. We easily focus on the miracle itself and not the one by whose power it's being done. That was a convoluted way of saying we don't focus on God. We focus on the miracle itself. And so it's important that there's not a lot of fanfare here, that there's not a big crowd here to witness this, that Peter is just like, Peter knows he can't do this. He knows it has to be God that does this. And so he puts everyone out of the room and he begins to pray. And after an undetermined amount of time in prayer, maybe the Holy Spirit nudged him, we don't know. But after some time in prayer, seeking God, he turns to Tabitha, he turns to the body, and he says, Tabitha, arise. And God raises her from the dead. And this miracle is again performed by the power of God for the glory of God. Tabitha was dead. They had washed her body. They, they were preparing her for burial. Like, they, they only did this when they were sure the person was dead. Because the washing of the body in, in, in back in this day, didn't, it wasn't just a washing of the body. It was like, you give you a haircut, trim your nails, everything would be, like, you'd be made very clean as a, as a body as they prepared you for burial. And they only did this once they were absolutely sure you were dead. So it wasn't like Tabitha might have still been kind of maybe alive. Like, she was dead. And Peter, when he arrives, he doesn't want to make a scene out of this. He imitates his Savior Jesus, puts everyone out of the room, and he privately goes before the Lord in prayer, asking that God would raise this woman. And God answers his prayer. Tabitha is raised from the dead, and again, many believe in the Lord as a result. Notice how in both instances the miracles serve to further the growth of the kingdom of God. It's not Peter who gets the glory. It's God who gets the glory, and it's God's kingdom on earth that is built up. It's his church that is built up. The miracles help people realize their need for a savior. They provide that credibility and that proof for the message that the apostles have been preaching. Of, you're a sinner, but Jesus died for you and, and was raised on your behalf as well so that you could be made alive with him. And so the miracles provide evidence for the apostles. They also provide provided evidence for, for Jesus when during his time on earth. They provided proof of his authority. And so, yeah. And in addition, Tabitha was beloved in her community, and she was known for her acts of charity and kindness. And when she died, the widows of the community in particular were distraught because of how Tabitha had cared for them and loved them. And her deeds and her acts of generosity and service brought great glory to God. She served quietly. She sought to bless those around her who had less than her. She cared for the least of these. And God was pleased to have her continue her quiet work for his glory. And God gave her back to the community she loved and served. And now you may be wondering, why God did what he did here. Like, why did he choose Tabitha? What about, like, Stephen? 
who we saw, I guess it's been a couple months now since since we saw Stephen in Acts chapter 6, but why not Stephen, for example? Or even now in our day and age, we all lose loved ones. We're all going to die at some point. Why doesn't Why doesn't God raise up our loved ones for us again? And my answer to that is, I don't know. You'll have to ask God when we finally get to stand in his presence and see him face to face. I don't know why God purposes to raise some people and have them keep living and keep serving and not others. I don't know why. I do know, however, though, that God knows exactly what he's doing. His reasons are good and perfect. They're for his glory and for the advancement uh, of his kingdom. And another question that may arise from this is that why don't we see more miracles today, especially if they serve as gospel pictures? And first and foremost, I want to point out that every time the Lord saves a sinner, every time a sinner with a hardened heart who wants nothing to do with God is saved from his or her rebellion, that's a miracle. So, in one sense, we do still see plenty of miracles today, because God is in the business of saving sinners. And secondly, it seems to me as we as we read through the New Testament that the miracles, they are gospel pictures, and they demonstrated Jesus' power and authority, like they were used as proofs, and subsequently his followers, the apostles specifically, they had been given a unique commission by Jesus and he, you know, remember in Matthew 16, he says he's going to build his church on the apostolic witness. And so these, they're given power to perform miracles as they go and preach the good news, as they teach about Jesus and what he said and what he did. And so, and those miracles are help confirm, you know, all throughout Acts, Luke says, and the Holy Spirit confirmed the message with accompanying signs. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't seem there doesn't seem to be the expectation throughout the New Testament that most Christians should expect to see lots of miracles. It it doesn't seem to say that we'll be given the power to perform miracles. I don't. As I read through the New Testament, I, and you know, the apostles are the ones who wrote most of the New Testament, and it just it doesn't seem that they they didn't seem to expect that most Christians would be given this power. Now that's not to say that. God doesn't still perform miracles today. You do still hear of crazy healings that can't be explained, of you know demons being cast out still some, sometimes. God it still works miracles, and God can do what God wants to do. But it just doesn't seem that this should be the expectation of most, most Christians. And I, I want to be careful as I say this. I want to be delicate as I say this, but I also want to be true as, as I say this. I've heard some. I've heard some people say they add to the gospel, saying that Jesus died for our sins, but Jesus also died to heal us, so that we would be healed and potentially wealthy and prosperous in this life. And that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't die so that this life would be good. Jesus died so that our eternal life in the presence of God would be secured. Jesus didn't Jesus didn't die so that we would be healed of all our afflictions here. In fact, the afflictions here on this earth are meant to point us to and make us long for when we get to spend an eternity in heaven. 
we don't live our best life now. Our best life is for eternity. And that's really good news. <laughs> this life is short and fleeting and full of so many unexpected unexpected things. Like you and I could die tomorrow. Could die today for all we know. But we know that in Jesus, because of what he did, our eternity is secure. And there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more suffering. And so the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. And it's, it's not that God doesn't care about us. It's not that he doesn't somehow want us to be well. But our good in this life is to be conformed to the image of God. Not necessarily to be half happy and wealthy and prosperous and whatnot. That's not the image we get in the New Testament. And Paul writes in, in Romans, quoting a lot of Romans today. If you haven't read Romans, you really should. Paul writes in the book of Romans, you don't need to turn there. Chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So what was written in this book for us was written for our instruction, for our encouragement, and to give us hope for the future. And I realize this is a, a sensitive topic, and so if you want to, you can feel free to reach out. Um, I would love to have a conversation about this with you. Um, yeah, feel free to, to reach out. If you have comments, questions, concerns about this, um, I would love to talk with you. Um, yeah. And so before we turn to our final point concerning miracles, I have some questions I would like us to consider in light of what we've read and seen. And so first, consider Peter and Tabitha as conduits for the grace of God. You have Peter on the one hand. He's one of the 12 apostles. He's been given unique authority and a unique mandate to spread the good news about Jesus. And Tabitha, on the other hand, she lives a quiet life serving widows in a small town. Both serve as conduits for God's grace in people's lives. They both have very different platforms that God's given them, but they're both equally serving God. God's given them different mandates, different... Like he's using Peter and the apostles in a very unique way, but he's also using Tabitha in a unique way. And when Tabitha dies, her absence is felt. Her service and her love for people were greatly missed. And so my question is, if you were to die, would your, and you will one day, but if you were to die suddenly, would your absence be felt if you departed? How would you be known and remembered in your immediate community? Would you be known for quiet, faithful service and devotion to the Lord? Would I be known for that? And building off that, I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me to be prayerfully seeking opportunities to use whatever gifts the Holy Spirit has given us to quietly serve as conduits of God's grace into the lives of our brothers and sisters this week. Not looking for big platforms, but just simple, quiet ways we can bless one another this week. Be it your brothers and sisters, be it whoever, whomever God has placed in your circle of influence, co-workers, friends, whoever. Ask God to show you someone you could bless this next week. And so having seen and considered that miracles are gospel pictures, and that they're done by the power of God for the glory of God, I want us to lastly consider a glorious and beautiful hope-filled truth that miracles help point us to. Namely, that Jesus is returning to make all things new. 
Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. This is the last book of the Bible. Um, turn with me, yeah, Revelation 21. And I have a caveat about this last point that I want to make while you're turning there. Uh, this last point is less specific to the text we're looking at today and is more about miracles in general. But as I was praying through this and preparing this, I just I couldn't shake thinking about this and worshiping God over this. And so I think this is important for us. And my my hope with all of this, really, but especially with this point, is to just stir you up to hope, stir you up to worship our God and Father. And so Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. And this is the Apostle John speaking. This is God, God revealed, God gave John a vision of the end times, and he wrote it down. And so this is the Apostle John speaking. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Like, isn't that magnificent? Brothers and sisters, this this is the hope. This is what's been purchased for us by Jesus Christ. This is what he died for, so that we could take part in this. Jesus' miracles, which he performed during his time on earth, and the miracles his, his followers, the apostles, subsequently performed um, by Jesus' strength, they also help point us forward to the renewing of creation. Because... Jesus has power over death, over sickness, over pain. Jesus showed that. When God raised him from the dead, he declared Jesus' sacrifice to be enough and also signified that death had been defeated. And so these miracles, they're a shadow of the good things to come. They're just little foretastes. They're like appetizers for the glorious main course that is going to be this vision we read in Revelation 21. And these help us fix our eyes on Jesus and give us hope and confidence that our king has indeed defeated these symptoms of the fall and has indeed freed us from our bondage to sin. We can endure this life now, serving as ambassadors for the king here on earth because our hope is in his finished work. Our hope is in nothing else except the blood of Jesus. If our hope is built on anything else, then it will fail. I want to read verse 3 of this passage, Revelation, again. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's what we're looking forward to. An eternity in the presence of God, totally free from sin and suffering, to enjoy him for all eternity. And miracles are just one of the many ways that we're reminded and pointed to this hope. 
And so, just to kind of wrap wrap this up, miracles serve as gospel pictures for us. They're done by the power of God for the glory of God. And last, but certainly not least, King Jesus is returning to make all things new. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope this has stirred you up to worship our Savior and Lord Jesus. I hope this has helped you to push I hope this has helped to push you to fix your eyes on Jesus and to continue to run with endurance this race that we call life. And if you're not a Christian uh, listening to this, I hope this has challenged challenged you. I hope you've I hope you'll consider your sin and consider your need for Jesus and consider that Jesus died to make a way for you to be right with God and you're free to respond to that. Um, the invitation's open. You don't need to clean yourself up come as you are. And so, yeah, if you have any questions about what was said today, um, any comments, concerns, please feel free to, you can either get in touch with me um, or with Gunnar or just with this Facebook page here, we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Um, yeah, if you have any questions about what was said today, um, I'm going to close us in prayer uh, and then we're going to spend some time praying just as a as a community together. And I'm going to read out the prayer requests that get shared so that way you can write them down. This is a great way to be praying for your brothers and sisters throughout the week. And also something, a really easy checkup this week is, hey, I, I noticed you asked for prayer about X. How's that going? I've been praying for you. You know, just this is a great way to encourage your brothers and sisters. It's always nice to know people are praying for you. So it's nice to know that people are talking to the God of the universe on your behalf. So... Yeah, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are great, you're glorious, and we worship you. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice on our behalf, to make a way for us to be right with you. Thank you, God, that you came after us in our sin, that you did not leave us in darkness and judgment, but you came looking for us to bring us back. God, stir us up to love one another well. I pray for opportunities to bless those around me this week. And I pray for opportunities for my brothers and sisters to bless one another this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, I'm going to be given the prayer requests in just a second. Mm. My lovely wife is writing them all down and compiling them in a list, so... So, yeah, well, things we can be praying for, even generally, we can be praying for our country of Iceland here. Um, you know, there's been a recent uptick of COVID cases, so we can be praying for the government, for the authorities, for the doctors, just as they, thank you, as they handle this, as they try to deal with this in the best way possible. Um, you know, they've been entrusted to, to deal with this, so we can be praying for them. Uh, and now I'm going to just be praying. I'm going to read out uh, these prayer requests, and then I'm going to pray generally uh, over them. So the first one here is from Gunnar, our, uh, our the other elder here. He says, pray for our family that Mikhail would continue to show no symptoms and that his COVID test tomorrow would come back negative so that we can be reunited with Svava, Sigaros, and Salomon. If you'd also just generally be praying for the children at Kletaskole, which is where Mikhail goes to school. A lot of the kids there have underlying issues. So, yeah, we definitely be praying for Gunnar and his family and also for Kletaskole. Um, Ayanda, 
asks for prayer for a friend in the States who has COVID. Please pray for his health. So far, he does not have any symptoms. For Abana, she asks for us to please be praying for Richard, who is back in Italy, and for God's will to be done in his life. For Hilder, pray for my doctor's appointment on Wednesday, that the tests from this week would astound the doctors and that I would be healed. And I pray for God's will to be done, that I would not cling to my hope to be in my health, but in God and Jesus' finished work on the cross. Uh, and Logan, the last prayer request that I have here says, please pray for Redeemer City, uh, especially for wisdom as we navigate covenanting as a church during the COVID situation and restrictions. And I saw there was one last prayer request that came in, so I'm going to also read that. This is from Svala. She asked for prayer for Johannes and Claudia as they navigate being new parents to Maria Isabel and also continued prayers for Tennis and Martha and their new baby and family. Yes, we have a lot of new kids. Today. We have a lot of new kids and a lot of uh, pregnant women in our church, which is a great blessing from the Lord. So I hope you heard those. Um, I would really encourage you to be checking up with people who have shared prayer requests. Just let them know you're praying for them. Share how they can be praying for you. Um, and I just encourage you to uh, to bless each other this way this week. Um, and now, so I'm going to pray uh, to close this out. Pray generally over these. And so, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come before you in prayer. That we can come with our burdens, with our requests, with our praises. Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege to be able to come into your presence wherever we are and talk to you as a child comes and talks to their father. This is so amazing and so incredible, and we don't take advantage of this, so please forgive our prayerlessness as a people. Forgive us for not obeying you and for not spending consistent, just constant time in prayer dependent on you. Thank you for how you've blessed our congregation. There are many pregnant women and many babies being born who are healthy and happy. And Father, thank you for, for blessing them in this regard. It's not guaranteed that we would that we would have this. That It's not a guarantee that we won't suffer on this earth. And so, Father, we thank you for healthy moms and healthy babies. Thank you for how you've blessed our congregation. We pray for Iceland, Father. We pray for the governments, for the schools, for the doctors, as people learn and figure out how to navigate this crisis. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that they would handle this well. I pray that you would use this situation to turn people's hearts to you, that your Holy Spirit would just break down barriers, hard hearts, so that people would see their need for Jesus, their need for a Savior, and that they would submit to you. And Father, we're excited for Redeemer City. Mm -hmm. Father, we pray that you would give just Logan and Carla and their team wisdom to know what to do, how to do it. And we pray that just you would be glorified and honored through them, that you would use them, that you would bless them, that you would establish this, this church as an embassy for your kingdom, that you would use them to bless the community around them, and that many would come to know you because of their faithful witness and obedience to you. We pray for those who have symptoms, who have COVID. Father, for those who know you, I pray that you would just give them endurance and strength. We do pray for healing. But Father, we also know that that's not always guaranteed. It may not be your will. 
And so we pray that those who do have symptoms would trust you, would lean on you, and would look forward to the time where they get to stand in your presence, where there will be no more pain, sickness, no more dying, no more tears, no more sadness. And I pray that you would use this time to stir all of us, Father, to look forward to the return of your Son, King Jesus. I pray your blessing over the congregation this week. And for those who are listening, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for giving us each other. Thank you for the community that we enjoy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing prayer requests. Um, yeah, if you have any questions or comments, please yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, and I hope you guys have a blessed week. Have a good one.